Well, it is uh, 10.30, so I think we will get started. And good morning, Karen. Yes, please do continue to say hello in the chat, uh, directing your comments to all panelists and attendees if you want everyone to be able to know that you're here. And by the way, this is a good time to get a candle if you want to have one on hand for lighting during the candle lighting soon. Hey, I understand we are starting on Facebook now as well. Good morning from good morning, America and Hunter. Glad to have you with us. Going to begin now with our opening words, which are from George Bernard Shaw. This is the true joy in life the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, the being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on the scrap heap, the being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder the work, the harder I work, the more I live. Life is no brief candle to me. It is a sort of splendid torch, which I have got hold of for a moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to the future generations. I now invite you to listen or sing along with our opening music, provided by Leah Morris. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night, I should be sleeping like a log. But when I get home to you, I find the things that you do to make me feel alright. You know I work all day to get your money. That's a way to get the morning started. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. My name is Perry Biter. My pronouns are he, him, and his. 
and I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Even as we gather in new ways, it is good to be together. I want to especially welcome our newcomers today. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at M-A-C-E-O-T at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form. Maceo will put that link in the chat. And we hope that you stay after the platform service in our Zoom coffee hour for a chance to say hello. And at noon today, we have a particular event for our newcomers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maceo and Wes's interim leader, Lynn Cox, will host a Q&A session for those who want to learn more about Wes and perhaps share stories with each other about the journeys that brought you here today. Our chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. If you don't want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it on your device by you might be clicking the red dot uh, in the upper left of the chat box or clicking on a minimize symbol or clicking on the chat icon at the bottom or top of your screen. And if nothing else works, you can always just block it with a post-it note. Sometimes low tech works just as well as anything else. Okay, we're going to move into our statement of purpose reading and this month we're starting a new system for people to do uh, be selected uh, to do that. And it's called First Come, First Served. If you would like to read the statement, all you have to do is sign up online for a particular Sunday. And the URL for doing that is tiny.cc forward slash read SOP, R-E-A-D-S-O-P. On days for which no one has signed up, the officiant will read the statement as I'm about to do now. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. And now, as those of you who have candles ready to light do so, I invite everyone to join me in reading our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, as we prepare to observe Labor Day tomorrow, I am particularly mindful of all the ways that life in contemporary society depends on the work of countless other people some of whom we know personally and others we will never meet. Those who teach our children, those who grow our food and transport that food to our stores and markets and sell it to us there. Those who care for us and our loved ones when we are sick, those who build our houses and apartments, those who help supply those houses and apartments with water and electricity, 
those who bring us the mail, and yes, our mailed ballots, and so, so many more. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of deeper reflection. Please take a moment to get as comfortable as you can, wherever you are. You might move around a little bit as I am doing and stretching a little bit, and then take a few comfortably deep breaths. Close your eyes if you like, or just soften your gaze. In the silence that follows, I invite you to think of a time when you have been fully engaged in whatever it was you were doing. See if you can bring that moment back to life for yourself and continue to breathe. Hail the glorious golden city Pictured by the seers of old Everlasting light shines o'er it Wondrous tales of it are told Only righteous men and women Dwell within its gleaming wall Wrong is banished from its borders Justice reigns supreme oh.
In that city music spills from concert rooms of every size Workshops full of varied artists Yielding treasures for the eyes Scientists explore with wonder Nature's mysteries profound Justice reigns but so does laughter Through the city joy abounds We are builders of that city All our joys and all our groans Help to rear its shining ramparts all our lives are building stones Whether humble or exalted All are called to task divine All must aid alike to carry Forward one sublime Beautiful. Thank you, Leah. So the title of today's platform, The Definition of Riches is Abundant Meaningful Work, is a quotation from my favorite writer, Spider Robinson. Some of you may know if you've longtime members that years ago I gave a platform in which I identified him as the unofficial official science fiction writer of ethical culture, because throughout his work are the same themes that we emphasize here about the power of relationships and the importance of community. The particular quote comes from a 1980 collection of his stories called Antinomy, in particular from the introduction to one of my all-time favorite stories, The Magnificent Conspiracy. I am going to read you now a page or so from that introduction to give you the context for that quotation. I consider myself a member of a magnificent conspiracy and I'm attempting to recruit anyone I can, you if you're not busy. There's a whole lot of us more than you might think and our stated purpose is to save the world. This requires a conspiracy to smuggle knowledge to disseminate some simple truths that no one taught us in school. Basic keys to how the universe works, which are not so much suppressed as buried in misinformation and derision. For instance, if there's one thing I absorbed through the skin from better, <clears throat> excuse me, from better than 90% of the teachers I ever had, virtually all adults who spoke with me and all the entertainment media I was ever exposed to. If there's one thing my upbringing prepared me to accept as certain, it is the proposition that work of any kind is a drag, that the smart man avoids work, that the dummies are the ones who work for a living, that leisure is the proper pursuit of the clever and the powerful. Isn't that incredible? It took me better than a quarter century to learn the hard way 
that hard work at something you want to be doing is the most fun that you can have out of bed and that working at something you don't want to be doing is a logical impossibility. We are all self-employed. To learn that the dummies are the ones who think it possible to cheat the boss or the customers without cheating themselves. To learn that the smart person finds ways to make everything he does be work. To learn that leisure time is truly pleasurable, indeed tolerable, only to the extent that it is subconscious grazing for information with which to infuse newer, better work. They told me often, for instance, that marriage is hard work, but somehow the way they said that made it sound like a disadvantage. How could I have been so basically misinformed for so many years about the way reality is put together? Why did I have to deduce from three decades worth of memories breaking my back, helping my neighbor David get the hay in before the rain, dodging pitchforks and pitch darkness on top of a truckload of hay, literally writing myself into unconsciousness to meet the deadline for the Stardance novel, shoveling out my outhouse in the summertime, that the definition of riches is abundant, meaningful work. Why didn't anyone tell me? Well, I don't know if someone told our four speakers today or if they figured it out for themselves, but we have with us today four West members who have found various ways in which work brings them a sense of meaning and richness. And we are going to hear from the four of them in turn. I will introduce each of them now so that we can continue from one to the other without interruption. Um, but I am delighted to introduce first, our first speaker will be Lauren Strange, who manages strategy and performance measures for a federal agency. She is in her fourth year on the West Board of Trustees and in her second and a half year as being the president of the board. Lauren and her husband, Brian Pashigian were married by the Baltimore Ethical Society in 2005 and joined West in 2014 following the birth of their son, Walter. Lauren has also worn many other hats at West, including SEEK teacher, facilitator of the Strategy Saturday, member of the interim leader hiring team, supporting actor, and last but not least for the Washington Eating Society, contestant in the auction bake-off. After Lauren, we will hear from Mari Breen Rothman. She is a certified nurse midwife and the owner and co-founder of MAMAS, an acronym for Metro Area Midwives and Allied Services, and also Mujeres Ayudando Mujeres a la Salud, which means women helping women towards health. Mari and her husband David raised their four kids in the West Sunday School all the way through coming of age. Mari served as the music director at West for seven years and directed the Children's Dance Ensemble for 12 years. Following Mari, we'll hear from Donna Radner, who joined Wes about, <clears throat> excuse me, about 20 years ago, seeking community and new connections after the death of her husband. She's been involved in leading deepening circles and working on the auction committee, as well as various West classes. She was artist of the month a few years ago and her quilts have been featured in the auction for many years and some are on display at Wes. One more reason it will be nice to get back to the building eventually. And finally, batting cleanup for us is Andrew Batcher, who's been a community organizer and activist for over 15 years. 
He's been involved in the peace movement, Black Lives Matter, and Occupy, among others. He currently works as the social justice coordinator for the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax, after serving in the same role at the Cedar Lane UU Congregation in Bethesda. He and his wife, Dana Pope, have been coming to West since 2010. He's served on the Adult Education Council and has a passion for social justice training and relationship skills. I want to thank in advance all of our speakers today, and I look forward to hearing what you have to say, starting with Lauren. Thanks, Perry. Uh, good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for the opportunity to talk about my time on the West Board of Trustees. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, like other ethical societies, West members have the highest level of authority, making significant decisions during membership meetings. But managing West operations between those meetings, the membership delegates to the board and the senior leader, or in our case right now, the interim senior leader, the responsibilities for the day-to-day -day operation of the society. So in addition to our fiduciary responsibilities, the board exists to set overarching policies, partner with the senior leader on visioning and planning, supporting fundraising efforts, and overseeing the work of the senior leader. While this isn't an inclusive list, I wanted to make sure everyone had a general sense of the board's role. So when Perry asked me to do this talk, the first thing I thought was abundant work, check. <laughs> We've got that here. Anyone who's served on a board of trustees, especially a high functioning governing board like what we have at West, can attest to the amount of work that's required. So given that, I'm gonna focus most of my time on the meaningful part. So my husband and I joined West six years ago, looking for a community with ethical values to raise our son. I will admit, it was challenging for me to feel like I was truly part of the community for quite a while. I always found West to be a welcoming place. So when I reflect on that time, I think it was tough to connect because most of our engagement was with other West members during a quick chat at the coffee hour after platform, back when we had one platform, uh, before folks rushed off to the rest of their Sunday activities. Plus, of course, we had a newborn and he was keeping us pretty busy and tired. My interest in West started to decline and I found it more and more challenging to come even to platform. I realized that if I was going to be part of West, I had to actually be part of West. So I started to look for ways to connect socially and to share some of the skills that I had gained through my professional work. We found other new parents to meet up with to discuss how to navigate this new normal. I joined some of the West productions in supporting roles. I signed up to teach seat classes, meeting other volunteers, parents, and West kids. The more I gave of my time and talent, the deeper a connection I started to feel. And then after a couple of years, I was asked to run for the Board of Trustees. This role at West has given me the most opportunity for meaningful work. I've had the chance to work closely with other trustees, most of whom I hadn't connected with in my earlier volunteer roles, and to connect with West members to inform the work of the board. As a team, we've had the responsibility of supporting the community through some large and historic changes in the last couple of years, including the transition of West's longtime senior leader and figuring out operational and financial responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. My time on the board has taught me that I can do hard things. 
I learned how to approach complex challenges by using the wisdom of the collective and having confidence that we will figure it out together. I'm grateful for the many chances I've had to grow personally and for all the opportunities I've had to give back to the community during my time at West. Brian and I thought we were coming to West to get something as new parents. And actually we learned that the most important thing for us to engage was to really give something back to the community. Now I wasn't asked to speak here to plug engagement at West, but that's exactly what I hope you get from my talk. Um, participate in the newcomer Q&A after platform today. New and long-term members connect with Maceo to find your place at West. Propose an idea for a new group that you would like to start with your interests or talents. Dive in to find your place. If the definition of riches truly is abundant and meaningful work, then I and the rest of the lay leaders and volunteers at West are rich beyond compare. Thank you for your time today. Um, and I'm gonna pass it now to Mari. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Lauren. Um, I've, I have served on the board for four years, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's, uh, it is definitely abundant work. Um, so um, I wanted to talk to you today about my life's work and passion. Um, and it, trying to do that in three minutes is really challenging. Um, so I'm just going to tell you as much as I can in three minutes and then and show you some pictures because, uh, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. So I figure I can get like 30,000 words in there in a minute. Um, I, my work is about reclaiming women's power. And when and that's how it started out, just women, because that is how we thought of it at the beginning of when I was a midwife. But, um, but now I think of it as reclaiming birthing person's power because um, sometimes the people giving birth don't identify as women. Um, but just to give you a, a really quick picture of the current situation, in our culture, there is no place where people become more disenfranchised than when they are giving birth. And even if you are a cis white woman, you're going to be disenfranchised during your birth if you have a normal American birth. If you are trans or gay or someone of color, it's even worse. And we have all the statistics we need to prove that because black women die at a rate three times greater than white women in, birth, in, in the birth process. And any, any place that you go to that's an institution is going to systematically strip you of your power during your birth experience. Some of them do it more nicely and politely, but all of them do it because the birth process in an institution is set up to serve the institution, not to serve the individual. So I am really fortunate that in the last part of my career, um, the last 10 years of my, or the last 13 years of my 25 year career, I have been privileged to attend women at home and hold the space so that they can reclaim their power and find what they are really able to do um, when they are just allowed to follow their biology. Um, and so we really, in my practice, we really uh, prioritize the sovereignty of women, the, the idea of the birthing person as the driver of their own care and their own experience, their expertise in their own body, and also centering them within a family unit and watching families grow um, watching that 
that process blossom is the divine privilege of my life and um, fills me with joy every single day. And just for those of you that don't know a lot about home birth, I think many people think it's a, it's a thing where the midwife comes to your house and sprinkles you with herbs and just hopes for the best. But it's actually, today's certified nurse midwives are state of the art maternity care providers who are incorporating modern healthcare knowledge with the TLC of traditional midwifery, um, creating an optimal experience for women. And since a picture is worth a thousand words, I'm gonna attempt now to share my screen and remind you at the beginning that, um, that we have a secret and it, in our culture, and it's not that birth is painful, it's that women are strong. And here are some pictures of the joy that I get to experience every day. This is a really great picture because it shows the mom and the newborn, but also the preschooler sleeping next to her and her dog. If you can see towards the bottom of the middle of the screen, her dog is under the covers there. Um, this is how it should be. This person is holding her eighth child. And you can see she's very happy to be in the center of that family. This person is, um, is deaf, and so she's surrounded by a different kind of family. There are two midwives and a student and two deaf doulas who also helped bring this baby into the world. This is what family looks like. Here, the two and a half year old is helping to catch this baby. This is the moment that the baby landed on the mom's chest. And you see that our student midwife on the upper left and then her partner and their toddler. Siblings. This woman is peacefully delivering in front of her own Christmas tree. And this allows partners to be really close and be right in the middle with their loved one who's bringing a brand new human into the world. This person is taking her wonderful, refreshing after birth shower, but she was missing her baby. So her partner brought the baby in so she could look at the baby while she was showering. And you can see the joy on her face. It's daddy's hand. This is about a one hour old baby who's picked up her head so she can look at her dad. This is one month's worth of babies. When we used to have uh, get togethers after, the, after a couple months had passed in person now we do it on Zoom, so we have them all hold the babies up in the little box so they can, uh, we can still get our group baby picture. You can see I enjoy my work. And this is how it looks when we work now, but even though we are wearing spacesuits, it's still the same process that ends up with this. And I had to include my four babies here. Thank you so much for letting me talk about this. And if you wanna contact me for any reason, this is the way. 
So next we're going to hear from um, Donna Radner. And I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Thank you, Mari. I don't seem to be in the large box yet, but I'm not sure why. Um, I'm going to start talking about my work and what meaning and richness I get out of it. Um, I, my work is creating art quilts and other quilts for the wall. There is one quilt behind me, which you'll be seeing a slide of, and that's why I'm sitting here today. I got started making quilts in 1981, so it's been almost 40 years and over 500 quilts later. I uh, actually originally was working in a quilt shop where I met Peggy Gates, who was a member of Wes. I believe she's still a member. And she uh, suggested that I keep a listing of all my work. So that's where it all started. And now I've got a huge list and many slides. Originally, I came to Washington in 1970 as a management intern to work for the federal government. And I chose HEW because it was still one agency at the time, health, education, and welfare. And it was supposed to be helping people. And that's why I chose it. However, Nixon was president and he was engaged in trying to get rid of some of the great society programs that Johnson had just enacted recently. I was working in the, mostly in the social services area and they were not very fond of providing social services to people on welfare. So instead of saying this openly, they brought in people to administer the programs who didn't really believe in them and tried to make it more difficult for them to run so they could then say they don't work and get rid of them. Naturally, this was a very discouraging and unpleasant kind of atmosphere to work in. So when I married a few years later, I left the government and I began searching for what I really wanted to do. I took a beginning quilting class because I really didn't, um, I didn't have a sewing machine. I worked all by hand at first for the first few years. And then eventually I got a machine so I could do more innovative work where I sew things together and cut them apart again. This was necessary to do by machine. And I also began teaching quilting uh, because I worked at a quilt shop. As I said, that's, that's where I met Peggy initially. And she was my entree into Wes. So uh, I worked at making quilts for a number of years. And then my, when my husband died in 1998, I began seeking community besides quilting in other ways. And that's where I turned to Wes and found a great deal of connection and meaning there. But in my work, I find a lot of meaning because I'm fully engaged in the process of creating when I'm working on things. Um, first slide now. Can we switch? Um, John, can we switch? Yes. Okay, this is the quilt that was behind me. It's called Twisting Canyons Number One. And it's inspired by my 
feelings about nature and also many photographs that I've seen of canyons and rocks that are striated. So in this, in this quilt, I was cutting irregular curvy strips, pleating them and using the pieces to design on a design wall, kind of creating the piece as I go. This is how I really like to work. I discovered when I worked for the government that I did not like planning because the plans never materialized. So I work more improvisationally using different units of fabric, in this case, these curvy strip pieces to create the design. The second slide, please. This is another one that I called the light within number four. And these are inspired by photos of slot canyons that are lit from within by the lighting, by the sunlight. And so you see the sun at the back and it just gives me a very spiritual feeling to be in this kind of space to imagine it even though I haven't actually been in the canyons myself, I've seen many inspiring photos of them. Nature is kind of my connection to the spiritual. Next slide, please. This one is the Grand Canyon uh, sunset, which was inspired by a photo from a, a travel magazine that I saw. And it uses hand-dyed fabrics and some of these pleated strips that I've mentioned. Uh, to create the design. Next one, please. And this one I call Inside the Canyon. So it's kind of an imaginary scene of being inside a canyon with the light coming in from the back and water uh, on the bottom kind of, some, sometimes you get streams of water running through the canyons. Next one, please. This one is inspired by my many trips to the coast of Maine. And I love the, the rocks and the waves and the sunlight. I think nature has been very important to me in terms of feeling that things go on even after a terrible death or whatever happens. The waves keep coming, the, the next day comes, the seasons change. This has been very important to me also. Next one, please. And this is another series that I've done that's based on some uh, idea, some images I've seen of planets. I think they're NASA images. And of course, this doesn't look exactly like them, but it's a whole series using hand-dyed fabrics and cutting circles of different sizes, fusing them onto the piece and machine quilting it. So these are all pieces that instead of piecing the quilts as I did in earlier times, I, I create a canvas and then I arrange the, the images on it and then I attach them to the background and quilt it. The next slide shows one of my pieced quilts, which, um, even though it's not one of the earlier ones, it's, it's probably about 10 or more years old at this point. And it shows my love of using many, many different fabrics and color gradations in working. This is something that I've tried to promote in teaching. 
when I've worked with students, I've tried to get them to use more and more different fabrics and to take more traditional designs and make them more freeform and irregular to create something more original. So that's kind of an example of that. I let the work evolve as I'm doing it and I'm very caught up in the moment uh, as I'm working on it. So it's, it's like being fully present. Um, I'm, I'm seeming to forget the phrase I need for this, but it's being present in the moment and all everything else disappears and you're just engaged in what you're doing. And that's the, the meaningful work for me. So um, in summary, my work has brought a lot of meaning and connection to others into my life through teaching, participation in groups and classes, and as a means of artistic self-expression. It has transformed my life in many ways and continues to provide new avenues to explore and develop. And being caught up in, in the work and in the moment in, is, very, is a very joyful and meaningful experience for me. And as I hoped, preparing this talk has gotten me a little bit more back into working because I found it, the pandemic has kind of zapped my creativity. And now I'm trying to get back into doing things because it's really important in my life. Thank you. I'm ready for Andrew to start speaking. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, gosh, it's amazing to, uh, hear about the work of my co-panelists um those those uh those quilts were quite beautiful quite impressive um so hi everybody um it is wonderful to be here i really appreciate the opportunity to talk and uh it was great to see everyone's uh welcome in the in the chat in the beginning so I'm Andrew Batcher, for, for those who don't know me. I've worked as a community organizer for a while now, which I find to be very meaningful work. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about what the work is and then about how I got into it and, and what's really important to me. So <clears throat> how many people feel existential dread related to this election and to Trump? Part of that dread is a feeling of powerlessness, that there's nothing that we can do about the horrors that we're facing. And as individuals, our power is very limited. But community organizing, the work that I do, is based on the theory that people have power in groups when those groups are organized towards a common purpose. And I would argue that organized people is actually the basis of all power. So it's important for me to say that there's a big difference uh, between doing work and having a job. Um, some of the most important work usually goes unpaid, like raising a family. Um, <clears throat> so I do both paid and unpaid organizing work. And some of that work is with my job. Um, I have a job at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax as a social justice coordinator. So at UUCF, um, the UU congregation I work at, we there's a lot of existential dread that people are feeling related to Trump and the election. And as a social justice coordinator, 
I see that. And I try to organize things that we can do to respond to that dread, productive things that we can do, or I coach and work with other social justice leaders in the congregation. So some of the uh, activities or actions that we're doing involves writing letters, sending postcards, and calling people in swing states either to get out the vote or to inform about registering or to talk about how people can re-register after they've been purged uh, from the voter rolls. We have youth who are going to work as election pages, and we partner with other organizations to go and do this work, including the REAB Project at All Souls and uh, UU The Vote, which is a national organization. And the same thing that we're doing, there's thousands of organizations all across the country in every state um, doing similar work. Uh, and I want to mention a few other things that we're doing to respond to some of the existential dreads that are in our environment right now. So um, <clears throat> we have a monthly food drive that we started in May as a response to the uh, coronavirus pandemic um, and all of the um, difficulty people have with paying bills and, and feeding their family and things like this. So since May, we've raised an estimated $20,000 worth of food, uh, grocery cards, medicine, diapers, and other uh, essentials. And we've worked with several partners um, in our area in Virginia who are more connected into the local needs and the local community, and they can kind of tell us more about what's needed and we can, and they can, we can raise and they can distribute. So, um, we have also done work related to policing in Virginia, um, advocating to make it harder for police to kill people, especially black people, uh, and face no consequences for those killings. Regardless of the issue, all of this is about building power for a common purpose and creating meaning out of the dread. Now here's uh, the crucial point that I really want people to drink in. We're going to be successful and we're going to fail. But whether we succeed or not, life is worth fighting for. Underneath it all, what I really believe in is spiritual transformation through action. I came to community organizing after spending a lot of time struggling to figure out how I could do meaningful work in an economy that was exploiting the poor and killing the planet. Growing up, I was also very shocked by how I saw people were treated worse because they were black or people of color, um, women or uh, poor. And I was shocked both by how every day it is and by how pointless it is, how no one benefits. Trump and the coronavirus hardship are only outgrowths of these bigger issues. We can make a difference. I have seen us make a difference. I know I have made a difference. But ultimately, to address the real big issues, we need to keep building power and keep transforming ourselves in the process of our action. We are the ones the world is waiting for. Who else could it be? And it is a learning process. It is a learning process to challenge, for example, the racism that we have internalized. And I think this learning process is really why we gather. Uh, 
So thank you very much uh, for giving me some time to talk. Uh, and may you have wonderful, meaningful, beautiful, transformative work. Thank you very much, Andrew. And thank you, Donna, Mari, and Lauren. Our four speakers today have shared some of their stories about kinds of work that have helped enrich their lives. After some reflection music, we're gonna open up the chat for community sharing. And I particularly invite you to use the question you see here to share some of your own story. Of course, if you have something else you wanna say, that's perfectly fine also. In the meantime, please enjoy this musical response from Leah. Some of you will remember Emily Elbert's music from earlier in the summer. This is a song that she wrote called To Do the Work. This heart opens and opens. This heart holds the prayers. This heart connects the body to the rhythm of all that there is. We have all the tools we need to do the work, to do work. So all people can walk free upon the earth, upon the earth. Mind, body, spirit, sing together, people, let's hear it. We have all the tools we need to do the work. Seek solutions and this mind finds the words. This mind unwinds the patterns when it's time they be unlearned. We have all the tools we need to do the work, to do the work. So our people can walk free upon the earth, upon the earth. Mind, body, spirit, sing together, people, let's hear it. We have all, all the tools. Let's hear it. We have all the tools we need. 
This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or the Facebook comments. And of course, it's wonderful to have Leah's music uh, for this particular platform uh, because she's another great example of someone who finds abundant, meaningful work through her music. Um, so we have a number of comments accumulating already. I will try to summarize some of them, although I certainly will not get to them all. Uh, Joe, uh, is that Joe Klein? Uh, talked about her work in international development as a source of meaning she finds through that mission. Um, the lyrics of the first song available, uh, of course, I guess you were not talking about the uh, sorry, this is Art Siebens asking about whether the lyrics of the first song are available. Um, I'm guessing you don't mean the um, the Beatles song. So the other one is um, Hail the Glorious Golden City, uh, words by Felix Adler and a verse that I added. Uh, and yes, Art, get in touch with me and I can uh, refer you to those. Uh, Nancy McGuire, so many different kinds of abundant good work. And good to think about powerful, positive things in the middle of all the bad news around us here, here. Um, Maceo says, as a staff member at West, I get to brag on the amazing members of the community and their contributions to West and the greater community. What an amazing platform. Thanks for all that you do, Maceo. Rajesh says, I find the most meaning when I am coaching someone and she or he arrives at an aha moment and grows visibly to meet new challenges. Teaching is a wonderful vehicle for that. Absolutely, Rajesh. I've had experiences like that myself. Jeff Mihal, looking back on my vocational life, I don't think I've ever had any meaningful work. To me, work was stuff one went through to be able to get the money and time to do what I really wanted. And yes, it's certainly true that some people find their uh, meaning through work that they do uh, that they're not getting paid for. Um, vocation or avocation. Uh, Shayla Bokum says, thanks to all the speakers. I enjoyed hearing your stories. Uh, clapping from Ann Baker. Mari Rothman, I love Leah's singing, don't we all? Uh, and from Facebook, from Patricia, uh, we can make a difference in our actions. I agree that we are what the world is waiting for. Abby says, this platform is so rich. Thanks, Mari, for reminding me of the home birth of my second child. It's hard to express the subtle and profound difference it made to be laboring at home. Uh, Abby says, Donna, I have one of your quilts on my wall that I was seeing as you spoke. Anne Glendening is a piano teacher. Bringing music to people's lives and helping children to develop through learning is extremely rewarding. Yep. Uh, Abby says, I changed careers and got another degree to be able to spend my working days on sustainability. Sadly, on a day-to-day -day basis, I struggle to find it meaningful. Yeah. Adam Briskin-Limehouse says, in thinking about the political organizing I've done, I now try to bring that attitude about raising up the voices of others and ensuring that the work we do is just to the consulting work that I do with Medicare. Thank you, everyone, for your contributions. Uh, just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, half of the Sunday collection goes towards supporting the mission and activities of this congregation, 
and half of undesignated donations are shared with a program whose values resonate with our own ethical culture principles. Both are important, especially as Wes and all of our community partners are transforming to meet the needs and challenges of our current chapter of history. This month, we're sharing the plate with Family and Friends of Incarcerated People, an organization that Wes has been proud to support for several years now. FFOIP's primary mission is to foster community support that effectively meets the needs of today's at-risk children and families of those incarcerated. It operates solely to promote charity, literacy, public safety, and to avoid intergenerational incarceration. FFOIP serves DC area children of the incarcerated and at-risk youth by engaging them in social, cultural, and youth development activities through our various projects, programs, and events. FFOIP believes in the concept that it takes a village to raise a child. If you're a visitor this morning, we invite you to be our guest today. We appreciate each person's generous giving as they're able. You'll see we have a give by text option that's on the screen and you can also make a gift online through the donate button at the West website. At, that's at ethicalsociety.org. We will now receive your gifts while we enjoy the gift of music from a classic jazz recording from the 1960s. <laughs> give credit where it's due. I did suggest that particular song, but uh, that recording of it was chosen by Leah. Uh, I don't have that particular recording, but I just thought of the work song when we were talking about music for this platform. And uh, I particularly love the one that she came up with. So thank you to Leah for her beautiful music <clears throat> and so fitting for the themes today. And of course, thank you 
and to all of our speakers, Lauren, Mari, Donna, and Andrew, and to everyone else who helped create this morning's time together, uh, Jen Watson, who chose, <clears throat> excuse me, the beautiful slides, uh, membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, Robin Kravitz for communication support and hosting our upcoming coffee hour, and the person without whom we would all be sharing, staring at blank screens, our tech host today, John Lika. Uh, and thanks to those of you who are leading and supporting our work in the week to come. Again, there's that Q&A session for newcomers at noon hosted by Maceo and interim leader Lynn Cox. Um, for other upcoming events, I refer you to the West website. Please check the calendar there for other opportunities to connect this week. And finally, thank you all for being here with us today. I invite you now to sing at home, uh, sing along at home to our closing song for the month of September, Building a New Way, given that special Leah touch. We are building a new way. We are building a new way. We are building a new way, growing stronger every day. We are building a new way. We are working to be free. We are Sorry, I was muted. Had to keep myself from singing along uh, publicly. Anyway, uh, let us uh, read our, our closing words together. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, finding renewal in this community for our hearts and for our quest for a better world. That concludes today's platform. Thanks to all of you for attending and thanks for all of the uh, nice comments in the chat. I'm glad so many of you seem to have found it as meaningful as I did. Um, thanks to our speakers and musicians. 
Um, so now comes our coffee hour, and you can see on the screen the link to get you there. Uh, <clears throat> um, we will be joined by Robin Kravitz, who will break us out into small groups so that we can talk with each other and see each other's faces on the screen. Um, I hope you will enjoy that opportunity, and I hope you enjoy wonderful weather today and have a wonderful Labor Day tomorrow as well. Look forward to seeing you again here next Sunday at 1030.